About six years ago now, we began using the new translation of the Roman Missal. And it was actually more than just a new translation. It was actually the first translation of the third edition of the Missal to come out after Vatican II. Uh, the English version we had been using up until 2011 was actually a translation of the first edition from 1970, and there have been a couple more since then. So now we're doing uh, the third edition, which was promulgated in 2000. So there are some changes to the rubrics, there are some changes to the calendar, but what most of us notice, of course, is the change of language. Some are minor alterations, some are major. Uh, anytime there's a change, of course, there are going to be some persons who are really on board and gung-ho for it, and others uh, who would prefer not to change at all, if at all possible. And uh, when this current translation was published, there were concerns that certain phrases weren't going to work. And perhaps the stiffest resistance was to the very simple phrase, and with your spirit, uh, that... Uh, in fact, it actually happens, I heard it just a couple weeks ago in a liturgy we had outside the Mass. Uh, just say, the Lord be with you, and, and uh, Catholics still respond, and also with you. Uh, in the Mass, I think we've disciplined ourselves to say, and with your spirit, but we forget sometimes. Uh, the other change, well, uh, one other change that came in for some real criticism, uh, concerns a word that we are going to chant in Latin in just a few minutes. The English rendering of the Latin consubstantialem patri is now consubstantial with the Father. And I'll admit that for most of us, consubstantial is not a word that we tend to drop in our conversations in the checkout line at the grocery store or at the pub. So why did we change it from one in being with the Father? Well, first of all, the, the hack philosopher in me might want to explore the problem of using the word being in the old phrase. Uh, since God's act of being is only analogous to ours, you know, the experience we have of being is not the same as God's being. It's only analogously uh, correct. Uh, so the old formulation was conceptually imprecise, let's say. But let's focus on the virtues of our current translation rather than the limitations of the old one. What's good about consubstantial? Well, this Latin word consubstantialis is a translation of a word that turns out to be quite important in the history of the church because it translates a Greek word, homoousios. And believe it or not, this word really was on the lips of grocers and pharmacists in the fourth century Greek Christian world, at least uh, according to St. Gregory Nazianzen. This word, which means of one and the same substance, was coined uh, at the Council of Nicaea in the year 325. And it was in response to a challenge that came from a priest of suburban Alexandria in Egypt. The priest's name was Arius. And uh, he reasoned from various scriptural texts that describe the Father and the Son of God that the Son must have been begotten in some time, at some point. Now, Arius happened to be a talented uh, lyricist, and he wrote a bunch of hymns and created a jingle to spread his doctrine far and wide. And that jingle went, there was a time when he was not, and he referred this to the Son of God. So there was a time when God the Father existed, but not the Son, according to Arius. How important is this? Um, isn't this akin to sort of counting angels on the head of a pin? Uh, no, it's not at all akin, actually. Ask St. Athanasius whether it's splitting hairs. 
Uh, he was the patriarch of Alexandria when all this blew up, and it happened that he was exiled three times for uh, maintaining that the Father and the Son are of one and the same substance. I should note that St. Athanasius, uh, he was a disciple of Antony the Great, who appears in the medallion behind Our Lady up there behind the altar. Uh, Athanasius also spent extensive time in Rome during one of his exiles. Uh, but he was not the only Orthodox believer to suffer in this way. Uh, St. Hilary of Arles was exiled from the West, uh, off to Phrygia for many years. The question is, by whom were they exiled? Why, who did they upset so much? The answer, the emperor. It's an, an interesting historical note that secular power tends toward two particular heresies that one might not immediately guess. Uh, the first one is iconoclasm. And this makes sense. That the presence of images, divine images, drastically relativizes worldly power. So if you have an int uh, a, a picture of Jesus dressed as the king, uh, this makes other claimants to kingship of lesser importance. And so it's a political statement to do that. And so emperors, kings, they tend to prefer not to have too many images of Christ like this or saints. Uh, it's a little safer to keep religion sort of disembodied in our minds and hearts, but not in our, the rest of our lives. And so uh, in the East, they can tell you all about the problems of iconoclasm. Uh, but there's also, I think, a demonstrable history to show that secular power prefers Arianism, uh, the doctrine of Arius, to the Orthodox Catholic position. Why is this? I think it's for a similar reason, because a savior who is just a creature like we are, uh, someone who began to exist in time just as we did, is you know, closer to us and a lot less threatening, let's be honest. You know, a savior who's not actually God except sort of by adoption is not the same as one who was with God in the beginning and who is God and who for our sakes empties himself of his divine prerogatives to become human with us. So this is our actual doctrine of the Catholic Church, that he is of one and the same substance with the Father. Uh, there are many, many things we could think about and reflect on in the celebration of the Holy Trinity, including the model of love that this presents, that it's actually safe to be of one substance with another, uh, another person, that the three persons of the Trinity model for us what it means to be love, what it means to partake of love. But I want to focus again on this word consubstantial because I find it interesting for other reasons. Now, if my thesis is correct that um, secular power tends to, or secularizing power, let's say, tends to be Aryan rather than Catholic, uh, we should expect in secularizing times such as ours to see Jesus' humanity singled out over against his divinity. And in fact, we should expect that lots of people will deny his equality with the Father. And I'll just leave that as a thought experiment for you after Mass today. Now, back to the great saints who suffered for upholding Orthodox Catholic doctrine. Retaining this technical word in the creed, consubstantial, is important because it is a reminder of the real historical and political stakes involved in professing belief in the Holy Trinity. It is a reminder that apparently slight changes of doctrine can have serious consequences, and so we should be uh, careful about what we say 
uh, careful about what we believe. There were some bishops at the Council of Nicaea, uh, that place where the Orthodox doctrine was hammered out, who proposed a compromise, homoousius, instead of homoousios. Uh, this would mean that the Son is of a similar substance to the Father, rather than the same. You know, it's kind of like the Father, very close, but not the same. And the difference between this sort of softer Arian position and the Church's official teaching comes down to a single iota in the Greek language. So let us honor the saints who have suffered for uh, professing the Church's doctrine by calling them to mind when we use these traditional phrases. But let us also learn from them to be really attentive listeners to the great fathers and the saints of the church, because the devil may be in the details. <laughs>